Welcome back, everyone, to 1001 Stories for the Road and Chapters 11 and 12 of The Secret Adversary by Agatha Christie. And now, Chapter 11, Julius Tells a Story. Dressed appropriately, Tuppence duly sallied forth for her afternoon out. Albert was in temporary abeyance, but Tuppence went herself to the stationers to make quite sure that nothing had come for her. Satisfied on this point, she made her way to the Ritz, on inquiry, she learned that Tommy had not yet returned. It was the answer she had expected, but it was another nail in the coffin of her hopes. She resolved to appeal to Mr. Carter, telling him when and where Tommy had started on his quest and asking him to do something to trace him. The prospect of his aid revived her mercurial spirits, and she next inquired for Julius Hersheimer. The reply she got was to the effect that he had returned about half an hour ago, but had gone out immediately. Tuppence's spirits revived still more. It would be something to see Julius. Perhaps he could devise some plan for finding out what had become of Tommy. She wrote her note to Mr. Carter in Julius's sitting room and was just addressing the envelope when the door burst open. What the hell? began Julius, but checked himself abruptly. I beg your pardon, Miss Tuppence. Those fools down at the office would have it that Beresford wasn't here any longer. Hadn't been here since Wednesday. Is that so? Tuppence nodded. You don't know where he is? she asked faintly. "'I? How should I know? Haven't had one darn word from him, though I wired him yesterday morning.' "'I expect your wires at the office unopened.' "'But where is he?' "'I don't know. I hoped you might. I tell you I haven't had one darn word from him since we parted at the depot on Wednesday.' "'What depot?' "'Waterloo. Your London and Southwestern Road.' "'Waterloo?' frowned Tuppence. "'Why, yes. Didn't he tell you?' "'I haven't seen him either,' replied Tuppence, impatiently. "'Go on about Waterloo. What were you doing there?' He, "'Tommy gave me a call, over the phone, told me to get a move on, and hustle. Said he was trailing two crooks.' "'Oh,' said Tuppence, her eyes opening. "'I see. Go on.' "'I hurried along right away. Beresford was there. He pointed out the crooks. The big one was mine. The guy you bluffed.' Tommy shoved the ticket into my hand and told me to get aboard the cars. He was going to sleuth the other crook. Julius paused. I thought for sure you'd know all this. Julius, said Tuppence firmly, stop walking up and down. It makes me giddy. Sit down in that armchair and tell me the whole story with as few fancy turns of speech as possible. Mr. Hersheimer obeyed. Sure, he said. Where shall I begin? Where you left off? At Waterloo. "'Well,' began Julius, "'I got into one of your dear old-fashioned first-class British compartments. "'The train was just off. First thing I knew, a guard came along "'and informed me mighty politely "'that I wasn't in a smoking carriage. "'I handed him out half a dollar, "'and that settled that. "'I did a bit of prospecting along the corridor "'to the next coach. "'Whittington was there right enough. "'When I saw the skunk, "'with his big, sleek, fat face, "'and thought of poor little Jane and his clutches, "'I felt real mad that I hadn't got a gun with me.' "'I'd have tickled him up some. "'So we get to Bournemouth all right. "'Whittington took a cab and gave the name of a hotel. "'I did likewise, and we drove up within three minutes of each other. "'He hired a room, and I hired one too. "'So far it was all plain sailing. "'He hadn't the remotest notion that anyone was on to him. "'Well, he just sat around in the hotel lounge, "'reading the papers and so on, till it was time for dinner. "'He didn't hurry any over that either. "'I began to think that there was nothing doing.' "'that he'd just come on the trip for his health. "'But I remember that he hadn't changed for dinner, "'though it was by way of being a slap-up hotel, 
"'so it seemed likely enough that he'd be going out on his real business afterwards. "'Sure enough, about nine o'clock, so he did. "'Took a car across the town. "'Mighty pretty place, by the way. "'I guess I'll take Jane there for a spell when I find her. "'And then he struck out along those pine woods on the top of the cliff. "'I was there, too, you understand. "'We walked maybe half an hour. "'There's a lot of villas all the way along, "'but by degrees they seemed to get more and more thinned out, "'and in the end we got to one that seemed the last of the bunch.' "'Big house it was, with a lot of piney grounds around it. "'It was a pretty black night, "'and the carriage drive up to the house was as dark as pitch. "'I could hear him ahead, but I couldn't see him. "'I had to walk carefully in case he might get onto it that he was being followed. "'I turned a curve, and I was just in time to see him ring the bell "'and get admitted to the house. "'I just stopped where I was. "'It was beginning to rain, and I was pretty near soaked through. "'Also, it was almighty cold. "'Whittington didn't come out again.' "'and by and by I got kind of restive "'and began to mooch around. "'All the ground-floor windows were shuttered tight, "'but upstairs I noticed a window with a light burning "'and the curtains not drawn. "'Now just opposite to that window there was a tree growing. "'It was about thirty feet away from the house, maybe, "'and I sort of got it into my head "'that if I climbed up that tree "'I'd very likely be able to see into that room. "'Of course I knew there was no reason "'why Whittington should be in that room "'rather than in any other.' "'Less reason, in fact, for the bedding would be on his being "'in one of the reception rooms downstairs. "'But I guess I'd got the hump from standing so long in the rain, "'and anything seemed better than going on doing nothing. "'So I started up the tree. "'It wasn't so easy, by a long chalk. "'The rain had made the boughs mighty slippery, "'and it was all I could do to keep a foothold. "'But bit by bit I managed it, "'until at last there I was, level with the window. "'But then I was disappointed. "'I was too far to the left.' I could only see sideways into the room. A bit of curtain and a yard of wallpaper was all I could command. Well, that wasn't any manner of good to me, but just as I was going to give it up and climb down ignominiously, someone inside moved and threw his shadow on my little bit of wall. And by gum, it was Whittington. After that, my blood was up. I had just got to get a look into that room. It was up to me to figure out how. I noticed that there was a long branch running out from the tree in the right direction. If I could only swarm about halfway along it, the proposition would be solved. But it was mighty uncertain whether it would bear my weight. I decided I had to risk it, and I started. Very cautiously, inch by inch, I crawled along. The bow creaked and swayed in a nasty fashion, and it didn't do to think of the drop below, but at last I got safely to where I wanted to be. The room was medium-sized, furnished in a kind of bare, hygienic way. There was a table with a lamp on it in the middle of the room, "'and sitting at that table, facing towards me, "'was Whittington right enough. "'He was talking to a woman dressed as a hospital nurse. "'She was sitting with her back to me, "'so I couldn't see her face. "'Although the blinds were up, "'the window itself was shut, "'so I couldn't catch a word of what they said. "'Whittington seemed to be doing all the talking, "'and the nurse just listened. "'Now and then she nodded, "'and sometimes she'd shake her head "'as though she were answering questions. "'He seemed very emphatic. "'Once or twice he beat with his fist on the table.' The rain had stopped now, and the sky was clearing in that sudden way it does. Presently, he seemed to get to the end of what he was saying. He got up, and so did she. He looked towards the window and asked something. I guess it was whether it was raining. Anyway, she came right across and looked out. Just then the moon came out from behind the clouds. I was scared the woman would catch sight of me, for I was full in the moonlight. I tried to move back a bit. The jerk I gave was too much for that rotten old branch. With an almighty crash, down it came, and Julius P. Hersheimer with it. Oh, Julius! How exciting! Go on! 
breach of it. Well, luckily for me, I pitched down into a good soft bed of earth, but it put me out of action for the time, sure enough. The next thing I knew, I was lying in bed with a hospital nurse, not Whittington's, on one side of me, and a little black-bearded man with gold glasses and medical man written all over him, on the other. He rubbed his hands together and raised his eyebrows as I stared at him. Ah, he said, so our young friend is coming round again. Capital. I did the usual stunt and said, what happened and where am I? But I knew the answer to the last well enough. There was no moss growing on my brain. I think that'll do for the present, sister, said the little man, and the nurse left the room in a sort of brisk, well-trained way. But I caught her hand to me a look of deep curiosity as she passed through the door. That look of hers gave me an idea. Now then, Doc, I said, and tried to sit up in bed, but my right foot gave me a nasty twinge as I did so. I must have injured it when I fell. A slight sprain, explained the doctor. Nothing serious. You'll be about again in a couple of days. I noticed you walked lame, interpolated Tuppence. Julius nodded and continued. So I asked the doctor, how did it happen? He replied dryly, you fell with a considerable portion of one of my trees into one of my newly planted flower beds. I liked the guy. He seemed to have a sense of humor. I felt sure that he, at least, was straight. Sure, Doc, I said. I'm sorry about the tree, and I guess the new bulbs will be on me. But perhaps you'd like to know what I was doing in your garden. I think the facts do call for an explanation, he replied. Well, to begin with, I wasn't after the spoons. He smiled. My first theory. But I soon altered my mind. By the way, you are an American, are you not? I told him my name. And you? I said. I'm Dr. Hall, he answered. And this, as you doubtless know, is my private nursing home. I didn't know, but I wasn't going to put him wise. I was just thankful for the information. I liked the man, and I felt he was straight, but I wasn't going to give him the whole story. For one thing, he probably wouldn't have believed it. I made up my mind in a flash. Why, doctor, I said, I guess I feel an almighty fool, but I owe it to you to let you know that it wasn't the Bill Sykes business I was up to. Then I went on and mumbled out something about a girl. I trotted out the stern guardian business and a nervous breakdown and finally explained that I had fancied I recognized her among the patients at the home, hence my nocturnal adventures. I guess it was just the kind of story he was expecting. Quite a romance, he said genially when I finished. Now, Doc, I went on, will you be frank with me? Have you here now, or have you had here at any time, a young girl named Jane Finn? He repeated the name thoughtfully. Jane Finn? He said, no. I was chagrined, and I guess I showed it. You are sure? Quite sure? He answered, quite sure, Mr. Hirschheimer. It is an uncommon name, and I should not have been likely to forget it. Well, that was flat. It laid me out for a space. I kind of hoped my search was at an end. Well, that's that, I said at last. Now there's another matter. When I was hugging that darned branch, I thought I recognized an old friend of mine talking to one of your nurses. I purposely didn't mention any name because, of course, Whittington might be calling himself something quite different down here. But the doctor answered at once. A Mr. Whittington, perhaps? Yes, yes, that's the fellow, I replied. What's he doing down here? Don't tell me his nerves are out of order. Dr. Hall laughed. No, he came down to see one of my nurses, Nurse Edith, who was a niece of his. Why, fancy that, I exclaimed. Is he still here? No, he went back to town almost immediately. What a pity, 
I said. "'But perhaps I could speak to his niece, Nurse Edith, did you say her name was?' "'But the doctor shook his head. "'I'm afraid that is impossible. "'Nurse Edith left with a patient tonight also.' "'I just seem to be real unlucky,' I remarked. "'Have you Mr. Whittington's address in town? "'I guess I'd like to look him up when I get back. "'I don't know his address. "'I can write to Nurse Edith for it if you like.' "'I thanked him. "'Don't say who it is that wants it. "'I'd like to give him a little surprise.' "'And that was about all I could do for the moment.' Of course, if the girl was really Whittington's niece, she might be too smart to fall into the trap, but it was worth trying. The next thing I did was to write out a wire to Beresford saying where I was and that I was laid up with a sprained foot and telling him to come down if he wasn't busy. I had to be guarded in what I said in that letter. However, I didn't hear from him, and my foot soon got all right. It was only ricked, not really sprained, so today I said goodbye to the little doctor chap, asked him to send me word if you heard from Nurse Edith, "'and came right away back to town. "'Say, Miss Tuppence, you're looking mighty pale. "'It's Tommy,' said Tuppence. "'What could have happened to him?' "'Well, buck up. "'I guess he's all right, really. "'Why shouldn't he be? "'See here. "'It was a foreign-looking guy he went off after. "'Maybe they've gone abroad to Poland or something like that.' "'Tuppence shook her head. "'He couldn't without passports and things. "'Besides, I've seen that man, Boris something.' "'He dined with Mrs. Vandermeyer last night.' "'Mrs. who?' "'I forgot. Of course, you don't know all that.' "'I'm listening,' said Julius, and gave vent to his favorite expression. "'Put me wise.' Tuppence thereupon related the events of the last two days. Julius's astonishment and admiration were unbounded. "'Bully for you! Fancy you a menial! It just tickles me to death.' Then he added seriously, "'But, say now, I don't like it, Miss Tuppence. I sure don't. "'You're just as plucky as they make them, but I wish you'd keep right out of this. "'These crooks we're up against would as soon kill a girl as a man any day.' "'Do you think I'm afraid?' said Tuppence indignantly, "'valiantly repressing memories of the steely glitter in Mrs. Vandermeyer's eyes. "'I said before you were darn plucky, but that doesn't alter facts.' "'Oh, bother!' said Tuppence impatiently. "'Let's think about what can have happened to Tommy.' "'I've written to Mr. Carter about it,' she added, "'and told him the gist of her letter. "'Julius nodded gravely. "'I guess that's good as far as it goes. "'But it's for us to get busy and do something. "'But it's for us to get busy and do something.' "'What can we do?' asked Tuppence, her spirits rising. "'I guess we'd better get on the track of Boris. "'You say he's been to your place? "'Is he likely to come again?' "'He might. I really don't know.' "'I see.' "'Well, I guess I'd better buy a car, a slap of one, "'dress as a chauffeur, and hang about outside. "'Then if Boris comes, you could make some kind of signal, "'and I'd trail him. How's that?' "'Splendid. But he might not come for weeks. "'We're going to have to chance that. This is all we have.' "'He rose. Where are you going?' "'To buy the car, of course,' replied Julius, surprised. "'What make do you like? I guess you'll do some riding in it before we finished.' "'Oh,' said Tuppence faintly. "'I like Rolls Royces, but—' "'Sure,' agreed Julius. "'Whatever you say goes. I'll get one.' "'But you can't—you can't just buy a Rolls Royce,' cried Tuppence. "'People wait ages for those.' "'Little Julius doesn't,' affirmed Mr. Hersheimer. "'Don't you worry any. I'll be round in the car in half an hour.' Tuppence got up. "'You're awfully good, Julius, but I can't help feeling that it's rather a forlorn hope. 
"'I'm really pinning my faith to Mr. Carter.' "'Then I shouldn't. "'Why? "'Just an idea of mine. "'Oh, but he must do something. "'There's no one else. "'By the way, I forgot to tell you of a queer thing that happened this morning.' "'and she narrated her encounter with Sir James Peel Edgerton. "'Julius was interested. "'What did the guy mean, you think?' he asked. "'I don't quite know,' said Tuppence, meditatively. "'But I think that, in an ambiguous, legal, without prejudiced lawyer's way, "'he was trying to warn me.' "'Why should he?' "'I'm not sure,' confessed Tuppence. "'But he looked kind, and simply awfully clever. "'I wouldn't mind going to him and telling him everything.' Somewhat to her surprise, Julius negatived the idea sharply. "'See here,' he said. "'We don't want any lawyers mixed up in this. "'That guy couldn't help us any.' "'Well, I believe he could,' reiterated Tuppets obstinately. "'Don't think it. "'So long. "'I'll be back in half an hour.' Thirty-five minutes had elapsed when Julius returned. He took Tuppence by the arm and walked her to the window. "'There she is.' "'Oh!' "'said Tuppence with a note of reverence in her voice "'as she gazed down at the enormous car. "'She's some pacemaker, I can tell you,' "'said Julius complacently. "'How did you get it?' gasped Tuppence. "'She was just being sent home to some bigwig.' "'Well?' "'I went round to his house,' said Julius. "'I said that I reckoned a car like that "'was worth every penny of twenty thousand dollars. "'Then I told him that it was worth more than that to me "'if he'd get out.' "'Well?' said Tuppence, intoxicated.' "'Well,' returned Julius, "'he got out. "'That's all. "'We'll return with Chapter 12 of The Secret Adversary "'right after these sponsor messages. "'And now Chapter 12, A Friend in Need. "'Friday and Saturday passed uneventfully. "'Tuppence had received a brief answer "'to her appeal from Mr. Carter. "'In it he pointed out that the young adventurers "'had undertaken the work at their own risk "'and had been fully warned of the dangers.' If anything had happened to Tommy, he regretted it deeply, but there was nothing he could do. This was cold comfort. Somehow, without Tommy, all the savor went out of the adventure, and for the first time, Tuppence felt doubtful of success. While they had been together, she had never questioned it for a minute. Although she was accustomed to take the lead, and to pride herself on her quick-wittedness, in reality she had relied upon Tommy more than she realized at the time. There was something so eminently sober and clear-headed about him, his common sense and soundness of vision were so unvarying that without him, Tuppence felt much like a rudderless ship. It was curious that Julius, who was undoubtedly much cleverer than Tommy, did not give her the same feeling of support. She had accused Tommy of being a pessimist, and it is certain that he always saw the disadvantages and difficulties which she herself was optimistically given to overlooking. But nevertheless, she had really relied a good deal on his judgment. He might be slow with that judgment, but he was very sure when it came. It seemed to the girl that, for the first time, she realized the sinister character of the mission they had undertaken so light-heartedly. It had begun like a page of romance. Now, shorn of its glamour, it seemed to be turning to grim reality. Tommy, that was all that mattered. Many times in the day, Tuppence blinked the tears out of her eyes resolutely. Little fool, she would apostrophize herself. Don't snivel. "'Of course you're fond of him. "'You've known him all your life, "'but there's no need to be sentimental about it. "'In the meantime, nothing more was seen of Boris. "'He did not come to the flat, "'and Julius and the car waited in vain. Tuppence gave herself over to new meditations. 
whilst admitting the truth of Julius's objections, she had nevertheless not entirely relinquished the idea of appealing to Sir James Peel Edgerton. Indeed, she had gone so far as to look up his address in the Red Book. Had he meant to warn her that day? And if so, why? Surely she was at least entitled to demand an explanation. He had looked at her so kindly. Perhaps he might tell them something concerning Mrs. Vandermeyer which might lead to a clue to Tommy's whereabouts. Anyway, Tuppence decided, with her usual shake of the shoulders, it was worth trying. And try it she would. Sunday was her afternoon out. She would meet Julius, persuade him to her point of view, and they would beard the lion in his den. When the day arrived, Julius needed a considerable amount of persuading, but Tuppence held firm. It can do no harm, was what she always came back to. In the end, Julius gave in, and they proceeded in the car to Carlton House Terrace. The door was opened by an irreproachable butler. Tuppence felt a little nervous. After all, perhaps it was colossal cheek on her part. She had decided not to ask if Sir James was at home, but to adopt a more personal attitude. "'Will you ask Sir James if I can see him for a few minutes? I have an important message for him.' The butler retired, returning a moment or two later. "'Sir James will see you?' "'Will you step this way?' "'He ushered them into a room at the back of the house, "'furnished as a library. "'The collection of books was a magnificent one, "'and Tuppence noticed that all one wall "'was devoted to works on crime and criminology. "'There were several deep-padded leather armchairs "'and an old-fashioned open hearth. "'In the window was a big roll-top desk "'strewn with papers at which the master of the house was sitting. "'He rose as they entered. "'You have a message for me?' "'Ah!' "'He recognized Tuppence with a smile. "'It's you, is it? "'Brought a message from Mrs. Vandermeyer, I suppose?' "'Not exactly,' said Tuppence. "'In fact, I'm afraid I only said that "'to be quite sure of getting in. "'Oh, by the way, this is Mr. Hersheimer. "'Mr. Hersheimer, Sir James Peel Edgerton.' "'Pleased to meet you,' said the American, "'shooting out a hand. "'Won't you both sit down?' asked Sir James. "'He drew forward two chairs.' "'Sir James,' said Tuppets, plunging boldly, "'I dare say you would think it is most awful cheek of me coming here like this, "'because, of course, it's nothing whatever to do with you, "'and then you're a very important person, "'and, of course, Tommy and I are very unimportant.' "'She paused for breath. "'Tommy?' queried Sir James, looking across at the American. "'No, that's Julius,' explained Tuppence. "'I'm rather nervous, and that makes me tell it badly.' "'What I really want to know is what you meant by what you said to me the other day. "'Did you mean to warn me against Mrs. Vandermeyer? "'You did, didn't you?' "'My dear young lady, as far as I recollect, "'I only mentioned that there were equally good situations to be obtained elsewhere.' "'Yes, I know. "'But it was a hint, wasn't it?' "'Well, perhaps it was,' admitted Sir James gravely. "'Well, I want to know more.' "'I want to know just why you gave me a hint.' "'Sir James smiled at her earnestness. "'Suppose the lady brings a libel action against me "'for defamation of character.' "'Of course,' said Tuppence. "'I know lawyers are always dreadfully careful. "'But can't we say, without prejudice first, "'and then just say what we want to?' "'Well,' said Sir James, still smiling, "'without prejudice, then. "'If I had a young sister forced to earn her living, "'I should not like to see her in Mrs. Vandermeyer's service.' I felt it incumbent upon me just to give you a hint. It is no place for a young and inexperienced girl. That's all I can give you. 
"'I see,' said Tuppence thoughtfully. "'Thank you very much. "'But I'm not really inexperienced, you know. "'I knew perfectly that she was a bad lot when I went there. "'As a matter of fact, that's why I went.' "'She broke off, seeing some bewilderment on the lawyer's face, "'and then continued. "'I think perhaps I'd better tell you the whole story, Sir James.' "'I have a sort of feeling that you'd know in a minute "'if I didn't tell the truth, "'and so you might as well know all about it from the beginning. "'What do you think, Julius?' "'As you're bent on it, I'd go right ahead with the facts,' "'replied the American, who had sat so far in silence. "'Yes, tell me all about it,' said Sir James. "'I want to know who Tommy is.' "'Thus encouraged, Tuppence plunged into her tale, "'and the lawyer listened with close attention. "'Very interesting,' he said, when she finished. "'A great deal of what you tell me, child, is already known to me. "'I've had certain theories of my own about this Jane Finn. "'You've done extraordinarily well so far. "'But it's rather too bad of... "'What do you know him as? "'Mr. Carter, to pitchfork you two young things into an affair of this kind. "'By the way, where did Mr. Hersheimer come in originally? "'You didn't make that clear.' "'Julius answered for himself. "'I'm Jane's first cousin.' "'he explained, returning the lawyer's keen gaze. "'Ah! Oh, Sir James!' broke out Tuppence. "'What do you think has become of Tommy?' "'Hm!' "'The lawyer rose and paced slowly up and down. "'When you arrived, young lady, "'I was just packing up my traps, "'going to Scotland by the night train for a few days fishing. "'But there are different kinds of fishing. "'I've a good mind to stay "'and see if we can't get back on the track of that young chap.' "'Oh!' Tuppence clasped her hands ecstatically. All the same, as I said before, it's too bad of Carter to set you two babies on a job like this. Now don't get offended, Miss uh, Cowley, Prudence Cowley, but my friends call me Tuppence. Well, Miss Tuppence, then, as I'm certainly going to be a friend, don't be offended, because I think you're young. Youth is a falling only too easily outgrown. Now, about this young Tommy of yours. Yes? "'Tuppence clasped her hands. "'Frankly, things look bad for him. "'He's been butting in somewhere where he wasn't wanted. "'Not a doubt of it. "'But don't give up hope. "'And you really will help us? "'There, Julius! "'He didn't want me to come,' "'she added by way of explanation. "Hm," said the lawyer, "'favoring Julius with another keen glance. "'And why was that? "'I reckon it would be no good worrying you "'with a petty little business like this. "'I see.' He paused a moment. This petty little business, as you call it, bears directly on a very big business, bigger perhaps than either you or Miss Tuppence know. If this boy is alive, he may have very valuable information to give us. Therefore, we must find him. Yes, but how? cried Tuppence. I've tried to think of everything. Sir James smiled. And yet there's one person quite near at hand who in all probability knows where he is, or at all events... "'where he's likely to be.' "'And who is that?' asked Tuppence, puzzled. "'Mrs. Vandemeyer.' "'Yes, but she'd never tell us. "'Ah, that's where I come in. "'I think it's quite likely that I shall be able to make Mrs. Vandemeyer "'tell me what I want to know.' "'How?' demanded Tuppence, opening her eyes very wide. "'Oh, just by asking her questions,' replied Sir James easily. "'That's the way we do it, you know.' He tapped with his finger on the table, and Tuppence felt again the intense power that radiated from the man. 
"'And if she won't tell?' asked Julia suddenly. "'I think she will. I have one or two powerful levers. Still in that unlikely event, there's always the possibility of bribery.' "'Ah, that's where I come in,' cried Julius, bringing his fist down on the table with a bang. "'You can count on me, if necessary, for one million dollars.' Sir James sat down and subjected Julius to a long scrutiny. "'Mr. Hersheimer,' he said at last, "'that is a very large sum.' "'I guess it'll have to be. Those aren't the kind of folk to offer sixpence to.' "'At the present rate of exchange, it amounts to considerably over 250,000 pounds.' "'That's so. Maybe you think I'm talking through my hat. But I can deliver the goods all right, with enough left over to spare for your fee.' Sir James flushed slightly. "'There'll be no question of a fee, Mr. Hersheimer. "'I'm not a private detective.' "'Sorry, I guess I was just a mite hasty, "'but I've been feeling bad about this money question. "'I wanted to offer a big reward for news of Jane some days ago, "'but your crusted institution of Scotland Yard advised me against it, "'said it was undesirable.' "'They were probably right,' said Sir James dryly. "'It's all okay about Julius,' put in Tuppence. "'He's not pulling your leg. "'He's got simply pots of money.' "'My old man piled it up in style,' explained Julius. "'Now let's get down to it. What's your idea?' Sir James considered for a moment or two. "'There's no time to be lost. The sooner we strike, the better.' He turned to Tuppence. "'Is Mrs. Vandermeyer dining out tonight, do you know?' "'Yes, I think so, but she will not be out late. Otherwise she would have taken the latch-key.' "'Good. I will call upon her about ten o'clock. What time are you supposed to return?' "'About nine-thirty or ten, but I could go back earlier.' "'You must not do that on any account. "'It might arouse suspicion if you do not stay out till the usual time. "'Be back by nine-thirty. "'I will arrive at ten. "'Mr. Hersheimer will wait below in a taxi, perhaps.' "'He just bought a new Rolls-Royce,' said Tuppence, with vicarious pride. "'Even better. "'If I succeed in obtaining the address from her, "'we can go there at once, "'taking Mrs. Vandermeyer with us if necessary. "'You understand?' "'Yes!' Tuppence rose to her feet with a skip of delight. "'Oh, I feel so much better!' "'Don't build on it too much, Miss Tuppence. "'Go easy.' Julius turned to the lawyer. "'Say, then, I'll call for you in the car around 9.30. Is that right?' "'Perhaps that will be the best plan. "'It would be unnecessary to have two cars waiting about. "'Now, Miss Tuppence, my advice to you is to go and have a good dinner, "'a really good one, mind, and don't think ahead more than you can help.' He shook hands with them both, and a moment later they were outside. "'Isn't he a duck?' inquired Tuppence ecstatically, as she skipped down the steps. "'Oh, Julius, isn't he just a duck?' "'Well, I allow he seems to be the goods, all right. And I was wrong about its being useless to get to him. You were right. Say, shall we go right away back to the Ritz?' "'I need to walk. I feel so excited. Drop me in the park, will you?' "'unless you'd like to come, too. "'I need to get some petrol,' he explained, "'and send off a cable or two. "'All right. "'I'll meet you at the Ritz at seven. "'We have to dine upstairs. "'I can't show myself in these glad rags. "'All right. "'I'll get Felix help you choose the menu. "'He's some head waiter, that one. "'So long.' "'Tuppence walked briskly along towards the Serpentine, first glancing at her watch. "'It was nearly six o'clock. "'She remembered that she had had no tea.' but felt too excited to be conscious of hunger. She walked as far as Kensington Gardens and then slowly retraced her steps, feeling infinitely better for the fresh air and exercise. 
"'It was not so easy to follow Sir James's advice "'and put the possible events of the evening out of her head. "'As she drew nearer and nearer to Hyde Park Corner, "'the temptation to return to South Audley Mansions "'was almost irresistible. "'At any rate,' she decided, "'it would do no harm just to go and look at the building. "'Perhaps then she could resign herself to waiting patiently for ten o'clock. "'South Audley Mansions looked exactly the same as usual.' What Tuppence had expected she hardly knew, but the sight of its red brick stolidity slightly assuaged the growing and entirely unreasonable uneasiness that possessed her. She was just turning away when she heard a piercing whistle, and the faithful Albert came running from the building to join her. Tuppence frowned. It was no part of the program to have attention called to her presence in the neighborhood, but Albert was purple with suppressed excitement. "'I say, miss, she's a-going.' "'Who's going?' demanded Tuppence sharply. "'The crook, Reddy Rita, Mrs. Vandemeyer. "'She's a-packin' up, and she's just sent down word for me to get her a taxi.' "'What?' Tuppence clutched his arm. "'It's the truth, miss. I thought maybe you didn't know about it.' "'Albert!' cried Tuppence. "'You're a brick. If it hadn't been for you, we'd have lost her.' Albert flushed with pleasure at this tribute. "'There's no time to lose,' said Tuppence, crossing the road. "'I've got to stop her. At all costs—' "'I must keep her here until—' "'She broke off. "'Albert, there's a telephone here, isn't there?' "'The boy shook his head. "'The flats mostly had their own, miss, "'but there's a box just round the corner. "'Go to it, then, at once, "'and ring up the Ritz Hotel. "'Ask for Mr. Hirschheimer, "'and when you get him, "'tell him to get Sir James "'and come on at once, "'as Mrs. Vandemeyer is trying to hook it. "'If you can't get him, "'ring up Sir James Peel Edgerton. "'You'll find his number in the book, "'and tell him what's happening.' "'You won't forget the names, will you?' "'Albert repeated them glibly. "'You trust to me, miss. "'It'll be all right. "'But what about you? "'Aren't you afraid to trust yourself with her?' "'No, no, that's all right. "'But go and telephone now. "'Be quick.' "'Drawing a long breath, "'Tuppence entered the mansions "'and ran up to the door of number 20. "'How she was to detain Mrs. Vandemeyer "'until the two men arrived, "'she did not know. "'But somehow or other it had to be done.' "'and she must accomplish the task single-handed. "'What had occasioned this precipitate departure? "'Did Mrs. Vandemeyer suspect her? "'But speculations were idle. Tuppence pressed the bell firmly. "'She might learn something from the cook. "'Nothing happened, and, after waiting some minutes, Tuppence pressed the bell again, "'keeping her finger on the button for some little while. "'At last she heard footsteps inside, "'and a moment later Mrs. Vandemeyer herself opened the door. "'She lifted her eyebrows at the sight of the girl.' "'You?' "'I had a touch of toothache, ma'am,' said Tuppence glibly, "'so I thought it better to come home and have a quiet evening.' Mrs. Vandemeyer said nothing, but she drew back and let Tuppence pass into the hall. "'How unfortunate for you,' she said coldly. "'You'd better go to bed.' "'Oh, I shall be all right in the kitchen, ma'am. "'Cook will—' "'The cook is out,' said Mrs. Vandemeyer, in a rather disagreeable tone. "'I sent her home. "'So you see you'd better go to bed.' Suddenly, Tuppence felt afraid. There was a ring in Mrs. Vandemeyer's voice that she did not like at all. Also, the other woman was slowly edging her up the passage. Tuppence turned at bay. "'I don't want—' Then, in a flash, a rim of cold steel touched her temple, and Mrs. Vandemeyer's voice rose cold and menacing. "'You damned little fool! Do you think I don't know?' "'No, don't answer. If you struggle or cry out—' "'I'll shoot you like a dog right here.' 
"'the rim of steel pressed a little harder against the girl's temple. "'Now then, march!' went on Mrs. Vandemeyer. "'This way, into my room. "'In a minute, when I've done with you, "'you'll go to bed as I told you to, and you'll sleep. "'Oh, yes, my little spy, you'll sleep all right.' There was a sort of hideous geniality in her last words which Tuppence did not at all like. For a moment there was nothing to be done, and she walked obediently to Mrs. Vandemeyer's bedroom. The pistol never left her forehead. The room was in a state of wild disorder. Clothes were flung about right and left. A suitcase and a hat-box, half-packed, stood in the middle of the floor. Tuppence pulled herself together with an effort. Her voice shook a little, but she spoke out bravely. "'Come now,' she said. "'This is nonsense.' "'You can't shoot me. "'Everyone in the building would hear the report.' "'I'd risk that,' said Mrs. Vandemeyer cheerfully. "'But as long as you don't sing out for help, you'll live. "'And I don't think you will. "'You're a clever girl. "'You deceived me, all right. "'I hadn't a suspicion of you. "'So I've no doubt that you understand perfectly well "'that this is where I'm on top and you're underneath. "'Now then, sit on the bed, "'put your hands above your head, "'and if you value your life,' "'Don't move them.' Tuppence obeyed passively. Her good sense told her there was nothing else to do but accept the situation. If she shrieked for help, there was very little chance of anyone hearing her, whereas there was probably quite a good chance of Mrs. Vandermeyer shooting her. In the meantime, every minute of delay gained was valuable. Mrs. Vandermeyer laid down the revolver on the edge of the washstand within reach of her hand, and, still eyeing Tuppence like a lynx in case the girl should attempt to move, she took a little stoppered bottle from its place on the marble and poured some of its contents into a glass, which she filled up with water. "'What's that?' asked Tuppence sharply. "'Something to help you sleep soundly.' Tuppence paled a little. "'Are you going to poison me?' she asked in a whisper. "'Perhaps,' said Mrs. Vandemeyer, smiling agreeably. "'Then I shan't drink it,' said Tuppence firmly. "'I'd much rather be shot. At any rate, that would make a row.' "'and someone might hear it. "'But I won't be killed off quietly like a lamb.' "'Mrs. Vandemeyer stamped her foot. "'Don't be a little fool! "'Do you really think I want a hue and cry for murder out after me? "'If you've any sense at all, "'you'll realize that poisoning you wouldn't suit my book at all. "'It's a sleeping drought, that's all. "'You'll wake up tomorrow morning none the worse. "'I simply don't want the bother of tying you up and gagging you. "'That's the alternative. "'And you won't like it, I can tell you. "'I can be very rough if I choose.' "'So drink this down like a good girl, "'and you'll be none the worse for it.' "'In her heart of hearts, Tuppence believed her. "'The arguments she had adduced rang true. "'It was a simple and effective method "'of getting her out of the way for the time being. "'Nevertheless, the girl did not take kindly "'to the idea of being tamely put to sleep "'without as much as one bid for freedom. "'She felt that once Mrs. Vandermeyer gave them the slip, "'the last hope of finding Tommy would be gone. "'Tuppence was quick in her mental processes.' All these reflections passed through her mind in a flash, and she saw where a chance, a very problematical chance, lay, and she determined to risk all in one supreme effort. Accordingly, she lurched suddenly off the bed and fell on her knees before Mrs. Vandemeyer, clutching her skirts frantically. "'I don't believe it,' she moaned. "'It's poison. I know it's poison. Oh, don't make me drink it!' Her voice rose to a shriek. "'Don't make me drink it!' Mrs. Vandermeyer, glass in hand, looked down with a curling lip at this sudden collapse. "'Get up, you little idiot! Don't go on driveling here! How you ever had the nerve to play your part as you did, I can't think!' She stamped her foot. "'Get up, I say!' 
but Tuppence continued to cling and sob, interjecting her sobs with incoherent appeals for mercy. Every minute gained was to the good. Moreover, as she groveled, she moved imperceptibly nearer to her objective. Mrs. Vandermeyer gave a sharp, impatient exclamation and jerked the girl to her knees. "'Drink it at once!' Imperiously, she pressed the glass to the girl's lips. Tuppence gave one last despairing moan. "'You swear it won't hurt me?' she temporized. "'Of course it won't hurt you. Don't be a fool.' "'Will you swear it?' "'Yes, yes!' "'said the other impatiently. "'I swear it!' "'Tuppence raised a trembling left hand to the glass. "'Very well.' "'Her mouth opened meekly. "'Mrs. Vandermeyer gave a sigh of relief, "'off her guard for the moment. "'Then, quick as a flash, "'Tuppence jerked the glass upward as hard as she could. "'The fluid in it splashed into Mrs. Vandermeyer's face, "'and during her momentary gasp, "'Tuppence's right hand shot out "'and grasped the revolver where it lay on the edge of the washstand. "'The next moment she had sprung back a pace.' and the revolver pointed straight at Mrs. Vandermeyer's heart, with no unsteadiness in the hand that held it. In the moment of victory, Tuppence betrayed a somewhat unsportsmanlike triumph. "'Now who's on top, and who's underneath?' she crowed. The other's face was convulsed with rage. For a minute Tuppence thought she was going to spring upon her, which would have placed the girl in an unpleasant dilemma, since she meant to draw the line at actually pulling the trigger. However, with an effort, Mrs. Vandermeyer controlled herself, and at last a slow, evil smile crept over her face. "'Not a fool, then, after all. You did that well, girl. But you shall pay for it. Oh, yes, you shall pay for it. I have a long memory.' "'I'm surprised you could have been tricked so easily,' said Tuppence scornfully. "'Did you really think I was the kind of girl to roll about on the floor and whine for mercy?' "'You will, some day,' said the other, significantly. The cold malignance of her manner sent an unpleasant chill down Tuppence's spine, "'but she was not going to give in to it. "'Supposing we sit down,' she said pleasantly. "'Our present attitude is a little melodramatic. "'No, not on the bed. "'Draw a chair up to the table. "'That's right. "'Now I'll sit opposite you with the revolver in front of me, "'just in case of accidents. "'Splendid. "'Now let's talk.' "'What about?' said Mrs. Vandermeyer sullenly. "'Tuppence eyed her thoughtfully for a minute. "'She was remembering several things.' "'Boris's words. "'I believe you would sell out on us.' "'And her answer. "'The price would have to be enormous. "'Given lightly, it was true. "'Yet might there not be a substratum of truth in it? "'Long ago, had not Whittington asked, "'Who's been blabbing? Rita?' "'Would Rita Vandermeyer prove to be the weak spot "'in the armor of Mr. Brown?' "'Keeping her eyes fixed steadily on the other's face, "'Tuppence replied quietly, "'Money.' Mrs. Vandermeyer started. Clearly the reply was unexpected. "'What do you mean?' she asked. "'I'll tell you. You said just now that you had a long memory. A long memory isn't half as useful as a long purse. I dare say it relieves your feelings a good deal to plan out all sorts of dreadful things to do to me. But is that practical? Revenge is very unsatisfactory. Everyone always says so. But money?' Tuppence warmed to her pet creed. "'Well, there's nothing unsatisfactory about money, is there?' "'Do you think,' said Mrs. Vandermeyer scornfully, "'that I am the kind of woman to sell out my friends?' "'Yes,' said Tuppence promptly, "'if the price was big enough.' "'What, a paltry hundred pounds or so?' "'No,' said Tuppence. "'I should suggest a hundred thousand. "'Her economical spirit did not permit her "'to mention the whole million dollars suggested by Julius.' 
"'A flush crept over Mrs. Vandemeyer's face. "'What did you say?' she asked, "'her fingers playing nervously with a brooch on her breast. "'In that moment, Tuppence knew that the fish was hooked, "'and for the first time she felt the horror of her own money-loving spirit. "'It gave her a dreadful sense of kinship to the woman fronting her. "'A hundred thousand pounds,' repeated Tuppence. "'The light died out of Mrs. Vandermeyer's eyes. "'She leaned back in her chair. "'Bah!' she said. "'You haven't got that kind of money.' "'No,' admitted Tuppence. "'I haven't. "'But I know someone who has.' "'Who? "'A friend of mine.' "'Must be a millionaire,' remarked Mrs. Vandermeyer unbelievingly. "'As a matter of fact, he is. "'He's an American. "'He'll pay you that without a murmur. "'You can take it from me, "'and that's a perfectly genuine proposition.' "'Mrs. Vandermeyer sat up again. "'I don't know why, but I'm inclined to believe you,' "'she said slowly. "'There was silence between them for some time, "'and then Mrs. Vandermeyer looked up. "'What does he want to know, this friend of yours?' "'Tuppence went through a momentary struggle, "'but it was Julius's money, and his interest must come first. "'He wants to know where Jane Finn is,' she said boldly. "'Mrs. Vandermeyer showed no surprise.' "'I'm not sure where she is at the present moment,' she replied. "'But you could find out?' "'Oh, yes,' returned Mrs. Vandermeyer carelessly. "'There would be no difficulty about that.' "'Then,' Tuppence's voice shook a little, "'there's a boy, a friend of mine. "'I'm afraid something's happened to him. "'Through your pal Boris.' "'What's his name?' "'Tommy Beresford.' "'Never heard of him. "'But I'll ask Boris. "'He'll tell me anything he knows.' Tuppence felt a terrific rise in her spirits. It impelled her to more audacious efforts. "'There's one more thing.' "'Well?' Tuppence leaned forward and lowered her voice. "'Who is Mr. Brown?' Her quick eyes saw the sudden paling of the beautiful face. With an effort, Mrs. Vandermeer pulled herself together and tried to resume her former manner, but the attempt was mere parody. She shrugged her shoulders. "'You can't have learned much about us if you don't know that nobody knows who Mr. Brown is.' "'Ah, but you do,' said Tuppence quietly. Again the color deserted the other's face. "'What makes you think that?' "'I don't know,' said the girl truthfully. "'But I'm sure.' Mrs. Vandermeyer stared in front of her for a long time. "'Yes,' she said hoarsely at last. "'I know. I was beautiful, you see. Very beautiful. You are still,' Tuppence baited her with admiration. Mrs. Vandermeyer shook her head. There was a strange gleam in her electric blue eyes. "'But not beautiful enough,' she said in a soft, dangerous voice. "'Not beautiful enough. And sometimes lately I've been afraid. It's dangerous to know too much.' She leaned forward across the table. "'Swear that my name shan't be brought into it, that no one shall ever know.' "'I can promise that. And once he's caught, you'll be out of danger.' A terrified look swept across Mrs. Vandermeyer's face. "'Shall I? Shall I ever be?' She clutched up at his arm. "'You're sure about the money?' "'Quite sure.' "'When shall I have it? There must be no delay.' "'This friend of mine will be here presently. He may have to send cables, or something like that. But there won't be any delay. He's a terrific hustler.' A resolute look settled on Mrs. Vandermeyer's face. "'I'll do it. It's a great sum of money.' And besides, she gave a curious smile, it is not wise to throw over a woman like me. For a moment or two she remained smiling, and lightly tapping her fingers on the table. Suddenly she started, 
and her face blanched. "'What was that?' "'I heard nothing.' Mrs. Vandermeer gazed round her fearfully. "'If there should be someone listening.' "'Nonsense! Who could there be?' "'Even the walls might have ears,' whispered the other. "'I tell you I'm frightened. You don't know him.' "'Think of the hundred thousand pounds,' said Tuppence soothingly. Mrs. Vandermeer passed her tongue over her dried lips. "'You don't know him,' she reiterated hoarsely. "'He's—' "'Ah!' With a shriek of terror, she sprang to her feet. Her outstretched hand pointed over Tuppence's head. Then she swayed to the ground in a dead faint. Tuppence looked round to see what had startled her. In the doorway were Sir James Peel Edgerton and Julius Hersheimer. "'Join us next week Sunday night for chapters 13 and 14.' of The Secret Adversary by Agatha Christie. If you're enjoying this show and if you enjoy this story, please do stop a moment and send us a review, especially you Apple listeners, for 1001 Stories for the Road. That's 1001 Stories for the Road. And share our show with a friend. And that's how we grow. Thank you for listening. Join us next week Sunday night at 6 p.m. Eastern Time as we continue toward the dramatic ending of The Secret Adversary. Until then, everyone, stay safe, and we'll be back soon.